My name is Ariel Kestenbaum, and I am the founder of Fair Meals, a 501c3 status nonprofit that focuses on easy, healthy, and affordable meal solutions for families of all walks of life. On our website, fairmeals.org, you can find free of charge tons of tips, tricks, and recipes that encompass our three pillars of health, ease, and affordability. To help continue to make our programming the best it can be, please consider donating to this amazing initiative at fairmeals.org forward slash donate. Okay, look, I mean, what a great visit with John Lynch, hanging out in San Francisco with such a highly regarded individual, not only on the field as a player, as a general manager, but as a person, like I said, great treat to spend time with him. I've had so much great feedback after talking to him about people who are interested in listening to his insights. Great visit. So thank you so much, John Lynch. We're on our way up to Philadelphia, all the way across the country to meet with Howie Roseman. Welcome to the GM Journey with Thomas Dimitrov. This is a guy who has run the gamut. I mean, he is he is a very big brain, smart guy with a really good insight and, a, and an approach, a very confident approach to him. He and I get along really, really well. And as I mentioned, we're very competitive with each other over the years. He's had an opportunity to work with some great head coaches. He's also worked with some head coaches who have been a challenge for him. You know, we we watch Howie and we watch how he navigates through a really tough community, really football-centric community in Philly. This guy is resilient. Check it out. You'll be really impressed with what Howie has to say. All right, Philadelphia PA with the GM of the Philadelphia Eagles, Howie Roseman. Thanks for joining me. Great to see you, brother. Well, I pulled up. And uh, this is look the first time at, I've ever been here. Look at this You guys place. have kicked our asses over so many years look when I was with this, Atlanta. Look at this place. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because I remember texting you many times off on the bus after we were down in Atlanta and getting our ass kicked, you know, and being like, great job. And I, I think of uh, the game where we played the second game of the year, and it was 2011 or 2010. 11 yeah and mike got hurt mike kapka came in yes and i remember um uh, drc was covering julio down the sideline and i'll never forget that uh like you heard i watched the replay and i hear al michaels going like how are you going to stop this defense i got this unbelievable defensive line we had drc we had asante who, uh, who yeah. you, you had yeah. namdi um and that was like the last moment of that season that was actually fun and then we ended up like going eight and eight and not winning but uh, a lot a lot of battles and, and a lot of respect like we've done this together for so long and just talking about things so i'm glad you're in philly because i feel like we don't get a chance to be on each other's turf a lot here here we are finally to go out and have some great dinner tonight we're here i mean i just i have so many questions i woke up this morning i've had a great uh month and a half traveling around the country visiting with all of our contemporaries yeah. and it's been so great to rekindle some friendships Again, we're always so busy, right? We get on the phone, we're talking about a trade, we're rushing off, talking about this or that. Yep. We maybe see each other at the owners' meetings. At least we used to. Right <laughs> now we're not going to. I'm, I'm kind of uh, in, in that limbo time. But one of the reasons that I really wanted to do this again is connect, talk football, professionally develop, and uh, you know capture some of this because I think what you have to offer, uh, like a lot of other general managers in this league, I think is huge. And I think too often general managers in our league are, I don't know, I feel at times a little bit marginalized where they shouldn't be. 
Uh, and I understand head coaches at the front yeah. end of... It's not baseball, it's, right? It's, 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 it's not exactly basketball. Right. And, and the right. head coaches are so important. Yeah. But at the same time, I think the other thing is that, you know, a lot of other sports we talk to, you and I do this all the time. We talk to a lot of GMs in other sports. And they always say, like, I feel like NFL GMs eat their own, right? Like guys get fired in baseball or basketball and they immediately get picked up by their boys, right? Yeah. And they get another job. And I think, like... People may think that, like, we're so competitive that we don't have these relationships. We don't pick up the phone and say, what are you thinking about this? What are you thinking about that? And, and I always appreciated that I could do that with you about anything. Like, I could call you and say, what are you thinking? Or, and, um, and we had that with each other. So I miss that, and I'm glad we get a chance to do that. Today. That's, it's so important. I was going to lead in today's questions, and, and we're, we're spinning because I knew we would spin. We were yeah, talking ADD, about everything. The ADD. No, I uh, love that. Yeah. I'm, not but, sure, I'm not sure I ever got diagnosed with ADD, <laughs> but I definitely have it, right? Well, you, you wear it well, yeah. right? Yeah, you wear it well. So I look at this, and I was thinking again, coming in here to Philly to, to spend some time with you, and I thought, you're one of the most respected and one of the most accomplished general managers in our league right now. You've done some wonderful things. You've won some big games. You've won a Super Bowl. You've won conference championships. You've won executive of the year. You've, you know, you've, you've set yourself and your line for, for many years to come, and, and very, very well respected. You're living the proverbial dream. And I look back on an article recently when oh, you wow. men mentioned, uh, you made mention that you literally wanted to be a GM at what age? Yeah, so um, it, it was funny because I knew what I wanted to do like a, as young as eight years old. And, and I want to play quarterback in the National Football League. But, you know, you see these guys, man, it is hard. I definitely didn't have the, the genetic pool that you need to play in the National Football League. But I, I had this advantage of knowing what direction I wanted to go in when it, it's hard to do this. And we also got in at a different time. Like, there was no way to connect like you do now. You couldn't send an email, send a text. Like, you you had to have the drive and determination to kind of go in that direction. And so, um, you know, just very fortunate, got an opportunity. And, and look, like, you know, you haven't been with many franchises, right? And I've been with one. Like, this, you asked, I know when this building was built, you know, to be here and, in this market and the passion this market has for as long as I have. And, you know, obviously you have to have some success, but it's also humbling. I mean, you talk about it, we make the playoffs three years in a row, win the Super Bowl, and then last year have the year that we have and, you know, win four games. And you kind of, any time you think you arrive in this business, you get your ass kicked. You have such a good grasp of that. We talk about it when we're on the phone and we're flying through and, and we fire off some questions and some, some, you know, comical remarks. And then we move on and we come back. And I, again, I'm, I value that a great deal. You, you have this way of being able to communicate with the people around you. You're, you're, you're very clear and candid. You take care of a lot of people over the years. That is one of the things that is beyond admirable when people talk about Howie Roseman. You've, people have been fired and you've brought them back. You, you have helped people out in a lot of different ways and you have a really good grasp of understanding the importance of people to people and, and the people to people skills that you have, again, is, is beyond admirable. Where does that come from? Yeah, I think that the most important thing is loyalty, right? And when you find good people and being loyal to them, but not only that, but taking care of them and their families. Like, 
Um, we've talked about this. We have this unique opportunity in these roles to be able to take care of people. Now, obviously that starts with ownership, you know, and we have an unbelievable owner in Jeffrey Lurie and what he wants to do and the people around him who've been around him for a long time. So it starts with him, but I view that as like the best part of the job is being able to take care of people and their families when they're doing a good job. And um, Philly is an unbelievably passionate market. I mean, football here is king. And because of that, it's great when you win and it's hard when you lose and the expectations are really high. And not only do I get to feel that, but the people who work for the Eagles get to feel that. And they know that when they're taking their kids to a football game or a baseball game, just them playing, they're gonna go, what's going on with the Eagles? You know, like, why, why? and then when things are good, like, that's awesome. So everyone here feels that. And so what can you do? You can have high standards and high, have high expectations because we have an unbelievably talented staff, but you can also take care of them and make sure that they understand because we're in a big market, because we're in a football crazy town, they should be compensated well too. So I'm gonna ask you a tough question and a humbling question. If I were to ask you what differentiates Howie Roseman from other GMs in this league, humbly speaking, of course, what would it be? Well, one, I, I've been privileged to have the experience, you know, and experience is important. I know that um, all of us look for the newest and brightest and best, and, and that's important too, but the more you do your job, the, the better you get at it. Uh, and then I think it's being surrounded by really good people, really strong people. And, and sometimes, you know, you hire staff and you go, well, is this guy, and we see it in this league all the time. You know, a couple of our friends have experienced it. You know, I've experienced it where you, you hire really good people and then they want to take you over, you know? So are, are you really encouraged to hire the best and the brightest because you're worried about protecting your turf? But um, I've been so fortunate to be around great people. And, you know, we talked about our owner. Um, I came into the league with a, a president of the team, Joe Banner, who's brilliant, understood how to build teams, how to build organizations. And then, you know, a Hall of Fame coach. You know, maybe um, you put him wherever you want to put him in the top five, but a top five coach and Andy Reid, who um, was the best leader you could ever be around. And not only from the perspective of building a football team and in front of the team, which he's outstanding, but also in the building and hiring staffs and building a football team. And, and he loved the art of team building. He loved spending time with Ron Wolf, who you know both of us admire obviously a great deal and, and one of the role models for general managers in the National Football League. And so he learned all those lessons through Ron and then he'd impart them to all of us. And um, when coming up, we went to a Super Bowl in 2004 and. We had eight guys on that staff who ended up being GMs or vice presidents of player personnel. And so, you know, we had this opportunity, including one who just won a Super Bowl, right, Jason? Yeah. Um, and so we had the opportunity, it was like a think tank. Like, I don't know, I haven't worked anywhere else. You know, I've only worked in football, but I gotta think that that's like what goes on at Google or Facebook. Like you have these freaking brilliant young people who all you can see, like they're going places, like they're gonna be at a high level. But at the same time, like you're sharing ideas and you're competitive, just like you're playing one-on-one -on -one basketball with them. Um, and I feel like just being around that environment and then trying to pay that forward and hire really good people. And you know, one of the things I'm most proud of is, uh, you know, the amount of GMs we've had come out of here. And I know you spent some time with them sure. over the last couple of weeks. Well, you, again, you've had an opportunity to be around some great football minds, great leaders, great coaches that you just uh, mentioned with Andy Reid and, and other coaches. Some were position coaches and coordinators. It's really interesting to take that all in, having been in this league for as long as you have been. You understand the importance of that relationship between 
GM and head coach, it's vital. You cannot survive. You cannot thrive. No and that, say, that said, you at times, it can be a little rocky. Yeah. Other times it can be smooth. So if I first asked you who was the most influential leader, you would say Andy in, no in all doubt. of your football. No, no doubt. doubt about no it. Doubt. Okay. So your relationship with Andy was unbelievable at so many levels. You learned so much. If, if I were to ask you or if a group of owners were to humbly ask you, how do you ideally put together a head coach, general manager relationship and basically put together the top end of a football operations of an NFL team, what would you say? Yeah, I'd say the first thing is I, I think that what happens is, you know, everyone like the, the kumbaya stuff gets a little bit overplayed, right? Because at the end of the day, if you have two people who just go, yeah, what you say, what you say. I mean, there has to be a little give and take in that relationship because at the end of the day, they're very different jobs, right? Like when you're a, a general manager in the National Football League, you have to build for now and you also have to protect the future. Like that is your job. Your job is to make sure you are not just going one year and then you're out. You have to build it and you have an obligation to the organization, to the ownership, to the fans to make sure that you're trying to compete for a long period of time. Now, again, like that doesn't mean that you're in the Super Bowl every year because right. it's too hard. That doesn't mean that you make the playoffs every year because it's really hard. Whereas you're the coach, you are looking at now. How am I going to win this game? How am I going to make the playoffs this year? How am I going to win the Super Bowl this year? And that's fair. So if you think about those two roles, there has to be a little give and take. There has to be a little bit of dichotomy between those two jobs. And so I think as long as there's respect and understands, like, you know, it's going to come down at roster cuts. It's going to come down in free agent signings. It's going to come down in the draft where not everything – from our perspective is going to be about this season and from their perspective we respect that they have to win because they're under the gun for that season but we're also trying to help them over the long term so that they can spend a lot of time in Philadelphia right you know coach Reed was here 14 yes. years and to do that you need to compete over a long period of time and to build the team and to and to build the team you may have to take a small step back at a certain area to take two steps forward Again, head coaches and GMs, vital that there's communication and relationship. There's going to be the high times. There's going to be the low times. No doubt. You, on the other side, have had a very challenging relationship with a head coach at one time and Chip Kelly. Call it the way it is. There was a lot of talk about it. Without getting into a ton of detail on it, mm -hmm. very curious, what was the main lesson you learned from that GM head coaching relationship? Well, one, I do think that it, it, there are very few uh, people in this world who can handle both jobs. I mean, the jobs are just, they're too big for one person to handle. And, um, you know, Coach Reed knew that. He had it here, and I remember when he left, he said, you know, when you're meeting with the equipment guy or when you're meeting with the video guy and talking about staffing and you're talking about some of the struggles they're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis and you're still trying to coach the team, you only have a limited amount of time in the day to do that. So, you know, it's hard to run the building. Now, obviously, you know, you, you talk about another one of the greatest all time, Bill Belichick and his ability to do it. And, and Andy did it at a high level. We went to five championship games with Coach Reed. So you can do it, but it's really hard. And so I think that the separation of powers works. So to go to your original question, I'm talking to an owner. What would I, the separation of powers makes sense because you want to have, two really strong people doing their job at a really high level. And that allows you to stay in your area of expertise, but at the same time also being able to communicate 
effectively. And, and I think when I think about it, you know, I, maybe what I did and I look at myself in that situation, you know, maybe I took for granted because I was with someone for so long with Coach Reed and that it was just, it was easy, it was flowing. Like I knew him before I was married and had kids and, you know, literally we were with each other through, through births and, and deaths and marriages and life. So sometimes maybe you take that relationship because it's so easy because you're with someone for so long doesn't mean we didn't have challenges but you kind of take it for granted and then you go all right well you have to build that from scratch with with a new head coach and so it, it doesn't just flow like that like any relationship you have to really work at it and spend time and build trust I think that's one of the things that I, I took out of that is that it's really important to have that and then at the same time like you know making sure that the communication is going person to person man to man eye to eye and that you're not having delegates you know you're not having well you know you're really close with this guy so maybe you talk to this guy and then I talk to that guy that doesn't work you know and and you have to have those hard conversations and as long as there's mutual respect those hard conversations can come out in a good place so I'm curious having gotten fired in October and in my own contemplative uh, area of my life right now and, and moving around thinking a lot during that time when Chip Kelly was here and and you were adjusted and I mean, is it correct in saying moved up in a way a little bit during that time? Was that, were you traveling around the country and the world? Were you spending time professionally developing during that time? Yeah, and I think it's funny that you talk about what you're doing because, you know, um, when that happened with Coach Kelly, and I could see the writing on the wall, and, and to be fair, we had won um, 20 games in two years together, and, and it, and it's hard to find coaches, you know, it's hard to find, hard to find GMs, but it's hard to find coaches. And so I understood where Jeffrey was coming from. And, um, I had some time left on my contract and, um, I talked to him and I said, you know, I, I really, I came into the NFL and all I was trying to do was keep moving forward. Right. And so what does that mean? Right. I, I tried, I started doing cap and then I went to pro scouting and then I went to college scouting and then I put it all together and I was a really young GM. And I never really had a moment because when you're in these jobs, you can relate to it. Like I wake up in the morning, I'm thinking about the team. I go to bed at night, I'm thinking about the team, right? Like it's uh, when all the, these guys leave and they get GM jobs and they say, what's the biggest difference between the job I have now and the job I'm going into? And I said, you wake up in the morning with a knot in your stomach, you go to bed in a knot in your stomach. Yeah. And you just, you know that there's going to be an issue you're going to have to deal with every single day. And you just prepare yourself for that you know like that you don't and when things are going good and you take your foot off the gas get your ass kicked and so I think for me it was like you know I would love to do what these coaches did which is you know you see these these coaches who get let go and they go around and and they they go to other uh they go to college they go to other NFL teams and they learn and they they kind of work on themselves and I felt like there weren't a lot of people maybe there were but there weren't a lot of people who are doing what you're doing now and so I, I went to Jeffrey and I said, hey, this is what I would like to do. You know, I knew this was coming. This is what i like to do. And he said, I think it would be great. And so I, I got this opportunity. And I really feel like it was the best thing professionally that ever happened to me. Because I got an opportunity to step back. I got an opportunity to work on a lot of my deficiencies. And even more so, I got a freaking master's in running sports teams really i didn't do it thinking like hey i'm gonna come back in here and i'm gonna go get another opportunity i did it because i felt like it was such a great opportunity personally and professionally to be able to do that so let's talk about building staffs let's talk about the importance of a stellar coaching staff 
And I'm not just saying the head coach, of course, number one, most important. I'm talking about the coordinators and I'm talking about the assistant coaches. I am convinced over the years, the way that you're going to survive, the way that you're going to win Super Bowls and championships is to make sure that staff is very, very sound at all levels. No doubt. What is your stance on staffs, building the staff? How involved are you in the construction of your coaching staff? And how involved is your owner? So I, you talk about it. It's like your team, right? Like you, you're not going to be, you're not have Pro Bowl players at every position, right? It's allocation of resources. We all basically have the same number of draft picks, salary cap money, all that stuff. So you're going to have to pick where you want to allocate resources. And at some point, like you just can't have such a big weakness on your football team. You could have a solid position group somewhere based on that allocation, but you can't have such a weakness that it affects your ability to compete on Sundays, right? And I think it's the same thing for, for front office staff, you know, whether that's our, in our roles with uh, equipment, video, sports science, you know, training room, docs, all that, you have to have a really strong group. And it's the same way for coaching staff. And even more so that we've seen is the coordinators are so important. Because when you're the head coach, just like when you're the GM, like, I think that there's a perception, you're the GM, you're sitting in your office, you're watching tape, you know, you're grading players, that's the job, right? Well, the job isn't even close to that, right? The job is this all-encompassing football ops job of, you know, how I'm going to allocate resources, how I'm going to negotiate contracts, how I'm going to hire a great performance staff, a a great uh, training staff, how I'm going to deal with injuries, you know, how I'm going to deal with talking to ownership, how I'm going to deal with talking to the head coach. And so it's the same thing being a head coach, right? You got to deal with the media in both of our jobs. And so you, you have to do messaging to the team. So you're not there just, just game planning, just thinking about how am I going to beat the Falcons this week? You know, you're, you're thinking about all this stuff. So just like we better have really good people around us who are really, I, I view it like a funnel, who are really funneling it down to the most important things, the head coach better have that. And it starts with the coordinators. And I, I think it's... It started with watching Coach Reed, where he had eight guys on his coaching staff end up being head coaches, and extremely successful head coaches, right? Um, no doubt about it. And it was because he picked the best and the brightest. And he started them, and he trained them, and they rise to coordinators, and they rise to head coaches. And you see that in our Super Bowl year, right? Um, you know, our, our defensive coordinator was Jim Schwartz, who was a head coach, and, and certainly one of the premier uh, defensive minds, and, and really great football mind you know you work with Jim and you know um, how he is as a coach and then Frank Reich who uh, goes to Indianapolis has been tremendously successful head coach and then we had uh, extremely experienced extremely um, a great special teams coach and Dave Phipp and it worked down to to the position coaches as well and so I think that it's really important so you know I'd say this, like at the end of the day, like you're not trying to to pick the entire staff for the head coach, right? They get these opportunities just like we do, just like I wouldn't like a head coach coming in and yes. say, hire this guy as your Southeast scout, hire this guy as your pro director. But sometimes it's, it's as simple as, hey, do you know this guy? You know, he, he's someone that I've had the opportunity to meet um, and he'd be worth doing it. And I'll give you a great example. You know, Coach Suriani, you know, our new head coach who, um, Today's his 40th birthday. Unbelievable. Wow. You know, we used to be the young guys. Are we the yeah. old guys now? No, dude? that's exactly right. I don't know. It's, it's crazy. crazy. And um, and he had this list of coaches, and he, and, and he came to me, and he said, hey, you know, you, you've been on the road. Is there any college quarterback coach that you know? You know, and I said, yeah, you know, I'm a Florida grad. Go Gators, you know. And Brian Johnson was the offense coordinator at the University of Florida and had gone back and 
uh, coach quarterbacks at Mississippi State and the offense at, at Mississippi State with Dak Prescott. And, and he came in and um, he said, I want to interview him. And, and he blew his socks off. He didn't have any pre-existing relationship and he hired him. You know, and I think that just shows the open-mindedness. Let me ask you this along the lines of coaching. Have you ever run into a situation, however, where a coach is putting together a staff and their focus is too much on the loyalty of the staff versus the talent of the coaching staff? And how do you help that? Yeah, I think at at the end of the day, we all have our our biases. We all have our instincts to hire people that we know, that we trust, that we like. I mean, that's natural in anything. And, And to be... To be fair, you want to have some of those people around, you know. I I think that our best staffs have always been where I could go next door, close the door, and say, I'm struggling with this decision. Tell tell me what you would think if you were in my role, right? And, and, And that's kind of the humility you have to have as a GM. It's not like my way or the highway. It's like, I got to get perspective, you know, and, um, and sometimes it comes from, from seeing guys like, you know, having guys on your staff who played, you know, like we have Connor Barwin right now on our staff and mm-hmm. he's developing and I think he's outstanding and, and he's someone that I'll go, all right, how would this play in the locker room? If you're in the locker room, how are you doing that? So having that balance. So I get that from a coaching perspective. I think it's it's just being able to have the sounding board and say, all right, are, are we hiring this person? Am I hiring this person because they're my friend? Are you hiring this person because you're a friend? Or are they helping our football team? Because at the end of the day, I could hire all my best friends. If they're not any good, our ass is going to get fired, right? So we better have a good group of people around us or it's not going to matter how many friends you are because they're going to be out of work just with you. That's right. What encourages you the most about the NFL looking into the next five to ten years? You know, I I think that when I think about the growth of the game and and when you talk about, like, connecting with fans and all these other sports struggling with, like, how do I get fans' attention? And then I think about our game and the passion around our game and and really the 365-day-a-year cycle. Like, you know, I work out in the morning, as you can tell, you know, like, um, and, and I have ESPN on, and it doesn't matter what time of the year we're at, there is some NFL-related story. And it's not like that for every sport. And so you think about the growth of the game and um, there are new areas to get people engaged with the game and to get people to play. And I think about then, you know, my family and my three young sons and, you know, even playing flag football, starting at four years old, they're playing flag football, right? And there's leagues with that. And so you're engaging and, and maybe it isn't, full pads, contact at that age, but they're finding the love of the game through that and the league doing a great job and it, and attracting women, you know, like thinking about that too, you know, and, and I think that, you know, just seeing our building and the diversity in our building and the people who are rising and our own organization, you know, and um, we recently uh, promoted Catherine Raish, who um, we had gotten from the CFL. She was an assistant GM in the CFL and, um, she had been here. This is her third year in, in Philly. And just, you know, how talented she is, how talented she is at putting the whole picture together and understanding scouting and salary cap and football ops and, and the performance aspect of it. And so before, again, you and I coming into the league, there weren't as many opportunities. You know, we, we promoted um, 
uh, one of our scouts are you, uh, who was into a pro scouting role too. And so I think that when you think about that and think about the interest and the determination to get into the National Football League when you're a young woman and then have that kind of passion and that just shows the where the game is today. And, and I think what I, what I love about that is that knowing that we're part of something that has that much reach and that people care that much. But so many people care about our game and it affects our cities in such different ways. And and that's why I was excited when he said, what should we do? Like, let's go to the Rocky Steps because just seeing that parade and we'll talk about it later and just seeing the effects it had on people. And still to this day, people coming up to me and saying, thank you. Thank you for three years ago, you know, um, and, and we'll talk about more of that. Well, I, I, mean, I, I was really talking about the diversity and the, the diversity growth of the game. Oh, yeah. And then it kind of got well, me. Well, diversity and inclusion is something that is so encouraging for sure. And on the other side of this, what are you the most concerned about over the next five to ten years in the NFL? Well, I think it's it's also, I feel like the narrative about the, the health and safety ha, has turned to. And I don't necessarily think that it's fair. I think that, you know, the, the safety of our game ha, has gotten better and better each year. I feel like. The National Football League does an unbelievable job of trying to be proactive about those things. And, um, you know, I, I feel like all these sports, I mean, we were just talking when you got here, you know, my eight-year-old son's playing in a Little League All-Star game last night. And uh, one of the coaches hits a fungo and plop hits the eight-year-old kid in the nose, breaks his nose, you know. And I think the the sport with the biggest rise of concussions is soccer, you know, where there, where there is no padding. And so I feel like making sure that, that parents understand how important health and safety is um, to the National Football League and making sure that kids go out and play. Uh, I think that's the thing that making sure from a PR perspective, we're getting out there and and talking about the realities of the benefits also of playing football. Fantastic. Well, within the league and outside of your organization, a lot of people look at you and your relationship with Jeffrey Lurie and admire it. And it's, it's, it's thought upon as being so solid and sound. What is the key to your relationship with your owner? Well, I think one, it's trust for sure, you know, and understanding that um, we're going to be very honest with each other. And if he has a different opinion, I'm going to tell him my opinion. And then we're going to walk out the door and we're going to do what's best for the team together. And I think it's also demonstrated ability, right? I mean, at the end of the day, um, if we didn't have success on the field, it would be hard for him to have trust of you know, me running his, his franchise on a day-to-day basis. You know, obviously, we have our head coach. We have a lot of good people who are running their departments, um, and we're not, I'm not micromanaging that. They're running them. So I think that's the key. And I, and I think, again, it's, it, it's one of these things where, like, experience matters and continuing to try to grow in your job matters. And I think that um, if, if I was an owner, I'd want to see somebody who's trying to hire the best people, not just trying to protect their own turf, and trying to continue to try to get better and learn because we're going to make mistakes. I mean, you know, we talk about this internally all the time. Like, I make a lot of fucking mistakes. Like, there's no doubt. I get it. Right? I get it. But the best, the, the GMs are in the Hall of Fame. They hit 60% of their first-round picks. So, <coughs> excuse me. So, I think it's about why did you make a mistake? Are you learning from it? Are you going back and looking at the process? Because... The process is much more important than the outcomes. If you have a good process and a bad outcome, you can live with it. If you have a bad process and a bad outcome, that's on you. And and that's really not acceptable. That's good. Okay, three quick hitters. One, what would you have done differently leading up to your time before you came into the NFL that you might share with rising executives? 
Yeah, I think that uh, maybe not being so football focused and maybe more focused on what other sports were doing and the team building aspects of that, as opposed to waiting till 2015 to kind of realize some of those things. I think that was really important. And I, I got a 14 year old son who, um, unfortunately, all he wants to do is work in the National Football League. And he'll say to me, like, you know, how is this going to help me be prepared to be a GM? And I said, well, by being well-rounded, by being able to get experience in a lot of different areas, that is going to help you yeah. run a team in some way. So I think just I was so um, laser focused on the end goal that at some points maybe I didn't see the big picture. And, and I think uh, the same thing, like it's OK to focus on the relationships, you know, when you're young in this business, as opposed to just the end game. I mean, I think about that often. I think about I think I would have worked so much more on schooling myself leadership i always thought well i was a natural leader because in in sport that allowed me to be a leader right there were other elements that i think could have been so much more beneficial in those in those formative years part of leadership you know there there is some natural element to leadership sure but part of it is experience and facing adversity and you can't you know all of us have been so fortunate to get these jobs and mostly we get them because we were kind of moving forward and so it's not until you get your legs cut out from you that you really see the internal fortitude that you have and how you're going to react. That's a great point. All right. In that middle time, from, from the time that you were in the NFL, rising through the ranks just before becoming a general manager, is there anything you would have done different, shared with people? Well, I, I think, important? again, like we go back to it, I was incredibly fortunate to have this well-rounded education in the National Football League, you know, and it really started with Joe and Jeffrey and Andy saying, like, here's the job you have right now. Do it really well and we'll expand it. And, and they did that. And so I feel like and, and timing in life is everything. Timing is everything in relationships, right? Personal relationships and professional relationships. And when I got here, it was a year after Coach Reed had gotten here. And the organization was young, and uh, they had made a GM change about a year after I got here, and we hired uh, a young GM, uh, Tom Hackert, who's another person that was hugely instrumental in my career. We got him from Miami, and I was like the only remaining member of the front office still here. Mm. And so I was able, to, he was kind of like, you know, like, what goes on here, you know? And, and I, I acted like I'd been here 10 years, and I was here for like one year. And, and having that and being able to experience and watch this young GM kind of grow in this league gave me a, a, a front court seat on all the things that he did really well and to be able to pick his brain and really learn from him and, and a lot of members of our organization during that time. All right, so here's the final quick hitter. While you have been the general manager and as you evolve as a general manager and you look back, sharing with some of our contemporaries that are your contemporary is in the business right now, that yep. you may have a few more years on them. Yep. What would you share that you would have done differently? Well, I think that one of the most important thing is really just empowering people, hiring good people and empowering them and, and, and trusting them. And that doesn't mean you don't question them and you don't ask them the whys of why they're doing things. But um, I think one of the things I did as a young GM was like I wanted to micromanage, you know. So um, we, uh, I'll use our equipment guy who's tremendous, you know, Greg Delamitros, and it would be like, hey, I got to hire an assistant equipment guy. And I go, great, uh, tell him, set up the time for me to interview him. And when I had that year, I'm going, what the heck do I know about the job responsibilities of the assistant equipment guy? Mm -hmm. And so, like, shouldn't I just be hiring the right person for that job and then letting him hire his staff? 
And so I think for me, I, it was like, I want my fingerprints on every single aspect of football ops as this young GM. And I want to make sure that everything is coming in front of me. And, and I still think there's an aspect of that because it's your name on it, yes. right? At the end of the day, it's your record, it's your name. But I think it's about like, all right, I'm going to hire these people who are going to lead their groups. And then they're going to be empowered to try to do the right thing as much as possible. And then to hire their own staffs. I mean, what, I mean, you, that's just, that's, that's maturity, right? I mean, no question about it. And you have a really good sound understanding of that now. All right. So let's talk a little bit about where the league is with diversity and inclusion. It's an important topic. Of course, we're making strides and yet we still have a long way to go. What is your stance on that league related? And more importantly, your stance with regard to the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, well, all you have to do is see the progress we've made really over the last 12, 24, 36 months. And it, it is huge, right? It's it's incremental. It's like it's growing and growing and growing. And I think it, it's it's based on the talent level. Just like you talk about, you know, where you're getting players from, like your pool is increasing because there are people who are more in diverse people who are interested in being in the National Football League, who have set their career goals towards that, and they point their star towards that, and they go in that direction. And once you have those people who are talented and smart and diverse and dedicated and determined, now you have a, a, a pool to take from people. And I think that when we look at these jobs, you know, I, I feel like the NFL was the last a really league to just go, all right, you play to college, you come into the NFL, you have a job, right? All these other leagues, NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, EPL, they're taking the best and the brightest. You know, they're taking people who are really talented and they're hiring them. And I think that you see that starting to happen. So what you're, what you're seeing, just like you're seeing, I guess, again, in the corporate world, I don't know because I've never been in the corporate world, but they're, they're hiring the best and the brightest that are diverse, right? They're not just looking for people who maybe just look like you and I, you know, they're looking for the best and the brightest all over. And really, when you think about like the Philadelphia Eagles, Jeffrey has always been about that. You know, I remember a couple years ago, there was like an NBC Today feature on Jeffrey about, you know, our, our, our senior VPs on the business side. I think we have like, we have like four senior VPs that are women on the business side. And so he's always been about where they came from and and really that's how i got in here right like i had an untraditional path and so i think it, it's like you want to pay it forward and you want to give people the opportunity to get in who are talented no matter where they come from what backgrounds they come from and and so that starts at the top with our ownership and then i feel like that that's an obligation that i have to our community to make sure that we're a diverse group of people so, Howie, let's let's talk a little bit about life in general. Let's talk about mind, body, and soul. Let's talk about life balance. Where are you on all that at this far into your career? Sometimes people think you can't have life balance in the NFL. What do you feel about that? Well, it's funny. Um, Ken Frazier was CEO of Merck, um, one of four Fortune uh, African American Fortune 500 CEOs, and he's. Um, He's from North Philly and a huge Eagle fan, and we had him talk to our team. And I talked to him after, and I said, you know, here's the struggle. I have four kids under 14. And he said, don't let anyone who doesn't have a big job convince you that they have perfect life balance, because it's not true, right? You can't run a company. You can't run a team and also be the perfect husband and dad. It's just not possible as much as we both would like to you can't do it right 
And so something has to go. So one, you have to have the perfect meet, right? You have to find someone who understands and understands that you're doing this because you're passionate about it and you're doing it to help your career and your life and, and their life. And I think that that's the first thing. And, and I have that. I mean, my wife is, is first pick in the draft, superstar, like out of control, great, right? And so she gets that. And part of it is, you know, she, we met when I was doing this, so she doesn't know any different, right? I think that's the second thing. And then, and then it's about like, you know, when you do have the moments, you know, like when you don't come to Philly on June 15th and I can spend time with my family, um, you know, you you have to take advantage of those moments and you have to be able to do that. Now, it doesn't matter. You know this. Like every day that I wake up when we're off in the next few weeks, I will check my phone. And every night I'll kind of go to bed like, please, phone don't ring, right? Because that's what, that's what we have to be on guard for. Like these, this is a tough time for us because we're on vacation the players are on vacation, the staff's on vacation. Like, you don't want that call. Like, you know, Dom, you met Dom today, unbelievable, uh, best at his job in the National Football League. When his when he calls me, I don't even say hello. I said, what happened, you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's like, no, I just went to a great restaurant, just wanted to let you know. I'm like, uh, I love you, man. Uh, I love you. I love yes, you, man. Yes. But I think so, you know, what you try to do is, is at least try to be present. And when you're not mentally present with them, you better fake the shit out of it so they don't feel it, you know? And so your mind may be going, but not to do that. And I think part of that is just like these, the phones, putting it somewhere, just putting it somewhere. So making sure like I can't just go on my phone and do it because they're addicting. And so you you know that, all right, if I'm gone for two hours or I'm doing something, like someone will get me if they really need me. Nothing earth shattering is going to happen at that time. But You know, I think we talk about work-life balance, and for me, that's like getting my mind right. So what do I do? Like, I have to start my day doing something, doing a workout. Mm -hmm. I have to, like, eat good food. Like, I I like eating good food. I like going to good restaurants. You know I got this passion for food, right? Do you like tequila? I love tequila, right? So you got to, you got to, now, you you can't go crazy in these jobs, right? Like, you know, like, but uh, I feel like you have to have that. So what you got to do is you can't be so hard on yourself that you can't have fun. You gotta let yourself go a little bit. And so, you know, that means like, I, you know, Mindy and I were like, all right, we gotta have at least two date nights a month, right? Like it's just me and her, not the kids, not another couple, just the two of us. And because there are Wednesday nights, and, and I know you know what I'm saying, like there are Wednesday nights during the season that you come home and you've dealt with the whole day and you gotta get through it and make sure nobody sees you sweat. And then you're shot, emotionally shot and she'll go, well, on Saturday, we got this, this, and this. Can you drive here? Can we do this? What are we doing? And I'm like, what? You know, <laughs> yes. no, I, I can't. I can't. I can't. I got to go to sleep. Like, I can't. And so we had, so I, I, it got to the point after 2015 where I was like, I'm going back. When you think of something during the week, put it on your phone, and we are going to spend that one, hot, one night, and we're just going to freaking go through it. We're going to roll through it. We're going to roll through all the things we have to catch up on. And it's been great for us because now it's like, now there's sometimes she's like, I got to get you. Like, I can't wait till we do this. So having that and understanding, like, you have to find time for the people you love and care about. Otherwise, you're going to burn out, you know. And, and we had one of the most famous coaches of all time in terms of burnout and a great coach and a great person in Dick Vermeil. We're still really close to the team, and you probably drive on freaking 95, and you still see 
Dick Vermeil, who was the coach in freaking 1980, still like, you know, hawking something, you know, people love Dick Vermeil. And it was because like, he had no work-life balance. Like it was like a hundred miles an hour all the freaking time. And so you'll burn out. These are marathons, these are not sprints. And, um, you know, our job besides this, this period of the year right now, they don't stop at the end of the season, right? We're, we're going on the coaches off season. That's our season. And during the season, we got to be there to support the coaches and the players. So um, you got to find balance. You obviously have a good understanding of balance. Okay, I'm going to ask you the... Not really, but well, you, uh, you, as good as we can. Yes, we talk a good game. I, we talk a good game. Right. No question. And it's, it's easy to talk a good game. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, it's complicated. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to ask you the Tim Ferriss lifestyle guru question. I'm going to footnote him. In the last three to five years, what philosophy, approach adjustment to your life have you made that has significantly improved your life? Well, I think the date night has been a huge part for my relationship um, with my wife in terms of just us finding the time, the two of us, to enjoy each other, have fun, and get back to, you know, where we were even before we had kids, right? And I think that that's huge for us to be able to, you know, go out on a Saturday night, Make sure we get a driver, you know, have a drink in there, the two of us, and talk and catch up. And, um, you know, she looks great. And, you know, so you, you get you get that kind of fun back where it's not just, you know, you come home and you got four kids under 14. Like, that's not always hot and sexy, no matter how good looking you and I are, dude. You know, like, it's, it's it doesn't always get us. So to have that moment where you go out and you dress up, I think that's been a huge part of kind of like, what I've done the last three to five years. And then I think the second part of it is just like, I think, you know, like all of us, no matter what you say, you always worry about losing your job. And I think when it actually happens to you, which it really did to me in 15, you know, and it happens to you, like, I think the anticipation of it is way worse than the reality. Like maybe you're in the news for a couple of days and, but at the end of the day, because of the way the news cycle works in this world, in this country with social media and everything's 24, 48 hours, everyone gets over it. Nobody really cares, you know? Like nobody really kind of goes, didn't that used to be the old GM of the Atlanta yeah. Falcons? Oh, I wonder what he's doing. Is he gonna be okay? Nobody cares, yeah, you no know? Cares. And so I think for me in 2015, going through it and kind of, you know, being dead, you know, and, and seeing how that looks and kind of watching it, and then coming back, it's like, okay, life still goes on. You know, like it, it, nobody dies. It, it's okay. And so maybe not worrying so much about that and then being able to play fast and not worry so much about all the mistakes you're going to make and really more so thinking like, all right, the National Football League, like everything else is like a bell curve. <laughs> and so it's designed where everyone's here. And so I'd rather try to be over here and maybe risk that I'm on this side of the bell curve than be stuck in the fucking middle. That's great. One thing I will add, however, I thought that no one was going to care about Thomas Dimitrov in the Atlanta Falcons relationship. And yet Julio Jones gets traded and it's I'm the reason that he got traded. So there's still a little bit of critique. Yeah, that doesn't ever go away, really. That doesn't go that doesn't go away until we're really removed from that whole thing because then it's it's easy to blame. Like it's easy to blame all the bad decisions on the on, and, and Terry and Arthur, great guys. Yes, Arthur, great Arthur, guys. great guys. So I'm not saying that for them in particular. I'm saying like it's easy just to say that was their fault. That was their fault. Well, you know, it was, it was a cap related issue. Julio would be there if the cap, you know, were to be in a different spot. Which it doesn't really matter what it is. It's just an interesting <laughs> thing. That, Excuse me. 
But here's the funny thing. Like, everyone says they'll do whatever it takes to win a championship, right? And then when you do whatever it takes to win a championship, and it comes with repercussions, of course, when you do that, then it's like, what were they thinking? Well, they were thinking they were trying to win a championship. No question. That's a great, great finale. Very last question. If there were to be one question that you feared I was going to ask you today, what would it be? You do not have to answer it. You know, I, just being in the city and getting asked every question and being critiqued about, you know, who you are as a person and um, your motives and agendas, you know, the personal attacks that I've gone through. It's like, um, you know, Charlie Castro used to have that GM seminar and he used to talk about Jack and Cook and said, you know, once you're wet, what's another drop? Um, I, I, I wasn't worried. Wow, look, I mean, what a treat again to be around a really intelligent guy like Howie Roseman. I mean, climbing the rocky stairs, you know, with Howie being there was a highlight for me as, as well as some great food in the community. He took me right to the heart of it all. and We had some great Philly food. And again, great opportunity to, to meet with a good friend of mine and have great respect for Howie as competitive as we are with each other. And it looks as though he's gonna bypass me in total years in this league, but that's great for him. I'm looking for my good buddies to, to bypass the 13 year rank and uh, he's doing a really good job. So it's fun to watch that. We're on our way from Philly all the way out to Houston to meet with our good friend, Nick Casario. Again, being around Nick Casario, you get a real chance to see how authentic he is as a person. He is one of those guys that you, again, wanna be around. You know that he's gonna be there for you. He's a very loyal, trusted person and trusted friend. I had a great opportunity to spend time with him. Although he had the weight of the world on his shoulders, there's a lot going on down in Houston. As we all know, he manages it. He's a very resilient person. He's gonna survive in life no matter how it is. You have been listening to The GM Journey with Thomas Dimitrov. Continue to follow Thomas as he interviews GMs from your favorite NFL teams. The GM Journey has been produced by Alan Kastenbaum, Thomas Dimitrov, and Octagon Entertainment. Don't forget to download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. The GM Journey is distributed by the Eight Side Network.